Good evening. It's good to see all of you tonight. We're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for tonight continues our series on one word. We're in our seventh lesson this week. And the word for tonight is love. I've heard uh, several lessons on love and this is a little unlike anything that, that I've heard. But love is used commonly today to describe relationships with family and friends, our relationship to God, and how we feel about tacos. Yes, the word love is probably overused in our vocabulary to describe even the smallest like. Love, as it is used in Scripture, is the word used to translate ahab in Hebrew, which is a verb, and it means to have a strong emotional attachment or desire for someone or something. Ahab or Ahaba is used some 50 times in the Old Testament, 55 times in the Old Testament to describe the love between man and maid, as in Genesis 29:20, love between friends, 1 Samuel 18:3. And God's love for man, Deuteronomy 7 and verse 8. Though there are several words used for love in Greek, only two are found in Scripture, and they are words that we are a little more familiar with. Agape or agapeo are used to describe God's relationship to His Son and man, in particular, His relationship with His people. Phileo describes the feelings God the Father has toward His Son and the obedient believer. The word love is very powerful and can be used to describe any relationship. We learn love, however, not by word of mouth, but by example. Uh, many of us are those that learn by experience more so than anything else. And love is something that we experience and we learn how to love because we are loved. So many times we see those in the world that don't know how to love. And most of the time it's because they were never shown love in their childhood. They were never shown love before and so they don't know how to really love. Love is taught by parents and or grandparents. We see love in Scripture shown by examples such as Abraham loving his son and Ruth loving Naomi. We see it especially in how God loves us so much that He sent His Son to die for us. True love is unconditional sacrificial and never-ending. It is not based on how we have been treated but more so how we are treating others. Love is an attitude and feeling that all Christians must learn to be obedient to the commands of God. There are three different ways that we're going to look at love tonight. We're going to begin with the love of man for man. 
the love that we have for family, friends, that's the kind of love that we're going to begin with. We begin by looking at the, the parent-child relationship and, and examples of love in that regard. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to look at a few verses here. One of the first examples that we find in this parent-child relationship is that of Abraham for Isaac. We see that Abraham had a great deal of love for Isaac, and I'm sure Sarah did too. But in Genesis 22, beginning with verse 1, we read this. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said, that, said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham was told to sacrifice the son he loved. Abraham had been promised a son and after many years the promise was granted even though we see that Abraham and Sarah tried to take care of that on their own. We see that God answered their prayers. He answered exactly what he told them that he would do. God's command would take the life of, of Isaac from him. Or would it? Notice what it said in the next few verses. Picking up with verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. Notice that last line in verse 5. He doesn't say, I will come back to you. He says, we will come back to you. In Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, we read this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham concluded that God had a plan, even if he had to raise Isaac from the dead. An interesting note that I found in my studies, something that I had had taken note of a couple of years ago was that Abraham had faith that God would raise his son. But where did that faith come from? Because it had not yet been done. 
Now it wouldn't be the first time that we read it in Scripture that God had raised someone from the dead. We see that Jesus had been able to do that. He was able to raise Lazarus and, and some others. But it had not yet been done in Scripture. What was Abraham basing his faith on that God would raise him from the dead? It was faith in its purest form. He had no reason to believe it, but he did. He believed that God had that power. And we also see that he obeyed by faith in God. Parents will understand the love that Abraham had for Isaac and to sacrifice his life would take a great deal of courage requiring a love for God. I might even ask which was more important to Abraham. We see the most important thing to Abraham was his love for God. In Luke chapter 14 Verses 26 and 27. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now the word hate, hate is used in that passage, but the, the meaning behind it, it is not about hatred, but loving God more than family. Abraham loved God more than he loved Isaac, and that was the reason that he was willing to sacrifice him. Whatever God had in mind, God, Abraham knew that he had a plan, and that somehow he would work out this plan. He knew that Isaac was supposed to... to be the one that, that many generations would come from. But he didn't know how God was going to do it. But ultimately he loved God more than he loved Isaac. As, as much as he loved Isaac, he still loved God more. And that's what it's about. Sometimes it means sacrificing family. Family who does not agree when it comes to Christianity. Family who would disown you even. But we have to love God more and family. This morning, one of the things that we noticed in our lesson was that as, as far as Christianity is concerned, we must count the cost of Christianity. And Christianity can be costly. But we follow God. We follow His teachings because we love Him. Abraham loved God more and it led to his full cooperation, his full obedience, which God was pleased with. And he spared the life of Isaac. There are many other examples of parent-child relationship, but let's look at some others. Let's look at the friend-to-friend -friend relationship. I'm sure we all have... A very special friend, maybe. When we get married, then our spouse becomes that very special friend. And when there are different ways that this is, is exhibited in scriptures, I want to look at the love between 
two very good friends, David and Jonathan. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning with verse 1, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Do you have any friends that you're knit to like that? Verse 2, Saul took him that day would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. David and Jonathan are the biblical version of BFS if you will. Their friendship went well beyond that of casual acquaintance. Jonathan risked his life at times for David's sake to protect him from his own father, Saul. We see that they had a very close relationship. They loved one another. And that wasn't something that, you know, certainly... Whenever we look at our society, men especially would frown on on that word love between uh, them and another man. But it wasn't something to be ashamed of. It was something to be treasured. It was something that meant a great deal to both of them. Love was very important to them. And so we see a love, a friendship kind of love is also an important way that love is exhibited in scriptures. And the marriage relationship is probably the ultimate relationship in regard to love. Spouses are commanded to love one another as they dedicate their lives to living for one another as well as living for God. I want you to notice the command that is given in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 25. Ephesians 5 beginning with verse 22. Wives, Submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Why? We often look down upon on submission, but submission was important in Scripture. Christians are taught to be submissive in many cases, and wives are told to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. And why, in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. In verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. There's a particular structure that God wants in the marriage relationship. He has set up marriage to be very special in His eyes. He knows how it works best. And the church is set up similarly to marriage. We see that first and foremost, Christ is the head of both. 
We do not have marriage without God. Now, we look at the world and we see that they have their own definition of marriage many times, but God was the one that invented marriage. And so no true marriage is without God in it. At least not the, in such a way that would please Him. Christ is the head of the church. And Christ is the head of the family. When it comes to marriage, the husband is to be the leader of the family. He is to be the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church. In the church we have elders who are under Christ and we are under the elders to some degree even though we're on the, the same playing field if you will. We're, we're all Christians. But elders are to lead the church following the direction of Christ and so are husbands. Husbands are to lead the church as or to lead the family as elders lead the church looking to Christ always and wives are to, to submit to their husbands as he is the head of the home as we submit to an eldership in the church but husbands are also told to love their wives something that I brought out many times in regard to marriage is that the husband if he wants the wife to be submissive to him, he has to be the type of husband that can be submitted to. He has to be loving. Love is an important part of that relationship. He is to love the wife. The wife is to be submissive and love her husband. Without, <clears throat> without love in the marriage relationship, what kind of marriage is it? You see, when... God instituted marriage. He did so with love in mind. Now we see examples of people who are married who, who really don't love each other as they should. But we do have some really good examples of love in Scripture. Take Isaac and Rebecca, for instance. At least in the beginning of their marriage, there is a great deal of love there. Whenever he first saw her, he loved her. Jacob loved Rachel dearly. He's married to Leah first, but he still loved Rachel. And so he entered into a plural marriage because he had such a great deal of love for Rachel. And we see that Jacob loved Rachel till the end. Even after she had passed away, long after she had passed away, he still remembered her very fondly. He still loved her even after her death. And Hosea and Gomer, that, that's an interesting one because God told Hosea to love Gomer, to love a, a wife of harlotry, uh, a wife that, that committed adultery against them. He was to love her and he did. And there are other examples in Scripture. These are some of the ones that we have been studying in our Sunday morning series over the last few weeks. But, but certainly we see that love needs to be involved in marriage. There are other examples, other relationships 
They have love in them. Ruth and Naomi, I mentioned them earlier in our, in our introduction. They had a great deal of love for one another. I also think of Luke 15. The father and the prodigal son. How much the father loved the son. Even though it's a, a parable, it's a story, it's an illustration. There's something to be learned from that passage. The love that the father had for his son. Even though his son had done wrong and, and had gone off into to the world and and had committed a great deal of sin against his father. His father loved him so much that when he saw his son coming back, he ran to meet him. And we see in that illustration the love of God for man. And that leads us into our next point. The greatest example of love is that of God toward man. Notice what is said in John 3, verses 14 through 17. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life, or eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Without the sacrifice of His perfect Son, the world will be lost. There is nothing we can do to earn His love and favor toward us. It is freely given. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works, and the sons of disobedient, among whom also we all, all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, <clears throat> because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, and trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Though we are not saved by our works, we are required to remain obedient to God. Without the sacrifice of Christ, we are dead in our sins. You see... It is through Jesus' death on the cross that we find life, true life, in Him. God has promised us that His Son will return to receive us unto Himself in eternity. 
Many view the span of time since this promise was made as a delay and consider that Jesus may never return. Second Peter, however, tells us that the delay in the Lord's return is actually an example in and of itself of love toward man. Second Peter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's an act of love. He has delayed the return of His Son to give everyone a chance to come to Him in repentance and obedience if necessary. God is giving those who are lost yet another opportunity to respond to the invitation of the Lord in obedience or repentance. Matthew 11 verses 28 through 30 Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God loves us so much that He gave His Son to die for us. Nothing that we have ever done or ever could do would merit such a sacrifice. But because He loved us, He offered it for us. And finally, we look at the love of man for God. How much do we love God? Yeah, I thought of a good invitation song, but it's not in our book. It's in the other one. Do you love the Lord? Do you love God? We've been given example after example to help us learn the meaning of the word love. The greatest example of love is that shown on the cross in the giving of God's own Son for the lives of mankind. The greatest command ever given is that of love, especially love for God. Jesus tells us that love encompasses all other commands. Notice what is said in Mark 12, verses 29 through 31. Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than thee. If we truly love God and man, we will be obedient to all other 
command. Take the Ten Commandments, for instance. If we truly love God, we will love God enough not to put anyone or anything before Him. We will not make idols or place them before Him. We will honor His name. We will honor the day He has set aside for us to serve Him. The Lord's Day, as it is in the New Testament, the day today that we are gathered to serve Him. And in regard to man, we will love them enough that we will honor our father and our mother. We will not murder. We will not commit adultery. We will not steal. We will not lie about anything or anyone. We will not covet anything that belongs to someone else. Love covers all commands ever given. As long as we love, we know that we will do the right thing in God's sight. Even despite how we may have been treated by others, we will love them enough to treat them with the kindness that we ourselves would like to be shown. Now if we truly love God, we will also be obedient to His will. And this is a tricky one because there are many people that teach different things in regard to salvation. Most religions and most people believe that there are certain things that are important in regard to salvation. Hearing and believing, that's a must. You cannot obey God unless you hear and believe His Word. That's a given. Most agree that repentance is necessary, that we have to, to have a change of life, a change of heart. And that's important in our walk with God. And even confession of faith in Christ is important to salvation. But that's also where many religions end in the plan and teaching it. But the Bible also tells us that we need to be baptized for the remission of sins. Peter's asked the question, what, what shall we do? And he answered, in Acts 2 and verse 38, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Baptism comes before remission of sins in the text, and it comes before remission of sins in life. We cannot have remission of sins until we are fully obedient to the gospel. How many of the conversions do we read in the book of Acts that mention baptism? They may not mention some of the other steps, but they always mention baptism. At least almost always. So as we look at the plan of salvation, if we love God, then we will be obedient to His will. Whatever it says, we will do it. If we truly love God, then we will do what He says. 
And that means that we will believe, repent, confess, and be baptized for the remission of sins. And if we truly love God, not only will we be, will we be obedient in these matters, but we'll also be obedient in remaining faithful. Anyone unwilling to obey all the steps that are given in Scripture, all the steps that, that we have been told through the apostles that are important, that we need to take in order to be a Christian, anyone unwilling to take these necessary steps does not know or love God. Not the way that they should. If we truly love God, then we will do what He says. Paul gives a wonderful definition of love. We read it as our scripture reading. We'll read it again. 1 Corinthians 13, verse, beginning with verse 1. Do I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love? I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. No matter what, if there's not love behind it, it doesn't matter what we do or how good it sounds, how good it looks, if there's no love behind it, it's worth nothing. No matter how many good deeds we do in the world, if there's not love behind it, it means nothing. Verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And just as we are to emulate all these things in our relationships with others, in our relationship with God, God has shown us how and that all these apply to His relationship with us. What if we replace the word love with God? God suffers long and is kind. God does not envy. God does not parade Himself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek his own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God never fails. Fits pretty well, doesn't it? God has shown us how to love so that we can know how to love others and how we can show our love for Him.
before leaving his disciples to go to the cross, Jesus left them a new commandment. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples <clears throat> if you have love for one another. It was a new commandment, not in the, the fact that, that love was something new to them. But it was new to the disciples in that they didn't understand the true meaning of love. Because Jesus hadn't yet gone to the cross. He hadn't shown them the extent of His love for mankind. And so they could not understand it until after the cross. So He gave them this new commandment and that they were to understand it more fully in His death. One of the things that He says to them is that they would be known by their love for one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Often the church is criticized for many things, but ultimately because there are many congregations that have a lack of love for one another. And it's important that we love one another. It's important that we love God. It's important that love be a part of our lives. And only if love is a part of our lives can we truly be pleasing to God. And do you love God? Do you love His creation? Do you love your fellow man? on love that all the commands of God are hinged. If maybe in this lesson you realize tonight that maybe your love for God is not what it should be. Maybe your love for man is not what it should be. Maybe there's something that you need to do to make your heart right with God. And certainly we offer you that opportunity if you're in need of coming in obedience, please do. If you're in need of coming in repentance, to ask for prayer or for forgiveness for something that you've done, if there is some way that we as your brothers and sisters can help you, we offer you this opportunity as we stand and as we sing.